You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in the industry. I'm Liam McDade, co-founder of Evolution Australia, and today I'll be your host. Okay, today we're talking about diversity and inclusion, uh, ostensibly within the tech industry, but as it's a, a subject that transcends industry, I'm uh, really looking, for, looking forward to uh, a, a varied and in, insightful conversation today. Uh, we have a, a great panel, a diverse panel today um, to uh, to talk through the subject, each which have their own um, their own questions, their own topics that they want to uh, want to introduce and discuss. So let's get on to the introductions. Um, over to you, Heidi. Hi Liam, thank you for having me. I'm uh, Heidi Dixon. I'm a social sustainability consultant um, that basically supports organisations to deliver people-centric change programs with obviously a particular focus and passion on equality, diversity and social inclusion. And yeah, looking forward to the discussion. Cool, Owen. Hi Liam, hi folks. My name is Owen Wang. I'm the uh, engineering manager at a company called uh, Agile Time. Um, it's a uh, SaaS a company building a SaaS product for workforce management, basically helping companies uh, manage their workforce or, or say, optimizing the management of the workforce or also getting real-time data insights of the team performance. So really glad to be here. Um, look forward to the discussion. Thanks, Owen. Uh, Christina. Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Nicola, uh, currently a um, senior engineering manager in Atlassian. Uh, where I'm really happy to have joined just recently. Obviously, Atlassian's mission is about helping teams and really the team of teams, which I am also uh, quite pleased to be part of at the moment, um, solving uh, some cultural uh, you know, problems and uh, some problems around the people side of things. Um, whereas I guess in my career starting, um, I started as a software engineer solving software engineering problems. Um, uh, which can be uh, equally as hard, uh, but I've been enjoying, I guess, the mix of uh, the people side of things as well as engineering uh, more recently. Um, in my private life, I'm a mother of three boys, so we've got a bit of a diversity issue at home as well. <laughs> but, uh, definitely more uh, more of them than me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm in general uh, very passionate about uh, all the issues um, that deal with culture because I believe people can do uh, can be the same person in one environment um, and very different in another environment where they can thrive. So really, really passionate at uh, empowering people get to their full potential there. That's awesome. Me. Thank you. And Tony. Thanks, Liam. And hi, everyone. Uh, so I'm uh, Tony Young, uh, CTO, Chief Technology Officer for a company called Linkly. Uh, we uh, build out some payments software for both in-store and online payment systems. Um, I've been leading teams for almost 20 years now, a uh, big focus over the last several years on uh, scaling teams, growing teams, and a big part of that being diversity inclusion as you do that. So um, that's been a very heavy focus of mine. Um, and alongside that, I have a heavy focus, I think, on uh, training and coaching people, um, whether that's in my personal life as a and mentioned before a martial arts instructor um, but at the same time even just across teams you know helping people and individuals grow and learn and uh, get better at working together. 
Awesome. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Um, so um, each of you have a, a topic or a question that you wanted to um, put into the discussion today. Um, I wanted to start with Heidi's um, because I think it's. Yeah, I think it, it covers the um, the journey from diverse, diversity to inclusion. I think it covers both ends of that spectrum. Um, so yeah, over to you, Heidi. Thanks, Liam. So I think my question was really about discussing what are some of the factors that prevent females from entering male-dominated industries or kind of impede their ability to have meaningful careers. And I think uh, there are many barriers that present um, for women. And whilst I think everyone's experience is different, I think there are definitely key themes. I think from a very, very early point in, um, you know, the entry point is that it starts when children are growing up. There's this lack of uh, female role models, if you like, in these non-traditional or underrepresented roles. And that means, you know, as a young girl, you kind of grow up not knowing that you can be what you can't see. Um, and I think that kind of then goes into the challenges of once you enter school age, um, you know, you tend to be more guided as a young as a young female student, you can tend to be guided more towards traditional career choices, you know, your humanities and your social sciences in place of, you know, your engineering or your more technical disciplined career paths. That obviously, you know, leads to lower numbers and we all know the challenge of, you know, the female numbers of, of women in particularly engineering is very low. Um, so from a pipeline perspective, you know, I guess on one hand there's a challenge of how do we attract and then on the other I think the barrier is about the retention. So once women do enter male-dominated industries, there's then additional challenges. Um, and I think in my experience and time spent leading diversity programs, you know, the number one focus for women is career progression. It's no different to anyone else. You know, it's the reason that women are attracted to do the role. It's the reason they join that organisation. And sadly, it commonly is the main reason that they end up leaving. And that's because women are not progressing at the same rate as their male counterparts. They're not always um, equally represented, particularly at senior leadership positions. Um, they're certainly underrepresented at CEO and board levels. So, I think that's definitely one challenge. Um, I think there's, you know, there's assumptions, stereotypes, bias, whether it be explicit or unconscious, about the roles that women can have. Um, that's both at an entry level, but I think, um, you know, Christina and I also, as you know, spoken about being um, um, mums. I think that when you do enter that period of that family phase, I think there's also, you know, assumptions made about what roles you can handle because of an assumption that you're going to be the primary carer. Um, so I think that plays a factor. And then another huge retention factor is challenging cultures. Um, those that can have a tolerance for poor behaviour, whether it be, you know, bias, discrimination, harassment, sexual harassment, they're obviously, you know, significant factors that are barriers for anyone. This is, that's not necessarily a gender thing. Um, but then there's also, you know, workplaces that are just not inclusive and, being inclusive, um, as I mentioned, isn't just a gender challenge, it's, it's, it's a challenge for all minority groups. Um, and I found that, you know, sometimes we go in for a solve on what we think is a gender challenge can actually, actually benef benefit, you know, other colleagues and other minority groups. Um, and I think, finally, I think sometimes it's really just simply looking at barriers that can be really simple workplace practices. So, 
that can be like lack of flexibility. It could be, you know, not being flexible on meeting times or there's these really subtle social norms like the beers after work or the annual golf day that can feel exclusionary for women. Um, and not just exclusionary, but I think that then goes on to impact things like professional networks, you know, promotional opportunities um, for women. So I think that's probably a very long-winded answer. I think there's many barriers, lots of challenges, but also lots of opportunity. Yeah, thanks, Sonia. But there's lots of lots of nodding around the around the call here, but especially from you, Christina, and you've got your hand up. So over to you. You want to say some comments on uh, comments on that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with Heidi. Definitely, it goes all the way back to childhood. Um, so not only do do you know children not have enough role models to kind of um, go um, and and try and uh, imitate. Really, we as parents sometimes we make the mistake of not even offering opportunities for that type of growth um, to our children ourselves. We don't offer that variety of um, opportunities. So, for example, you you would always give a girl, you know, a, a gift of Lego, uh, or you wouldn't give her a ro robots or something that's a little bit more challenging uh, on the intellectual side of things. Although girls, in my experience, and I've got three boys, I can tell you, I can see girls that can do a lot more, um, especially when in the young ages than boys and can excel just as much, if not more, um, you know, further down their careers. Um, so I think everybody can have really a, a big contribution on on this whole uh, journey from the beginning. Um, and, and really, whether you're a parent or someone who's who has got an influence, really, uh, you definitely uh, can contribute to, to solving that problem. And then it is a journey. And, and if you look at how, um, you know, things have progressed over the past years, I think it, we are in a better sh shape now than we used to be. Um, but we still have a long, long way to go. And it's not, again, just about, I guess, women versus um, uh, men or gender in general. I think it, uh, there's a lot to do in diversity. That just means we need to look at all those different stages along the way of the journey. It's not something uh, that we can solve very quickly, but we can definitely make improvements as we go. Um, we, we, as uh, employees, we can be part of a culture that kind of um, supports and encourages that type of diversity, uh, whichever diversity um, we're talking about, gender or otherwise, as well as really putting in some processes in place. So for example, when we're hiring, how do we make sure that we're actually removing the biases that we could have. And we're looking at people agnostic of their, uh, you know, background or ethnicity or gender. How do we actually make sure that we disconnect ourselves from that? Uh, so there are humans running the process. Um, how do we make sure that they have um, the understanding as well as, uh, I guess, the um, accountability to actually make that happen? Um, as they are going through all the different gates of letting people in. And that's only on the diversity part. But then the inclusion is a whole different story where you actually have people in, in the door. How do you actually make them part of the growth and the success um, of the overall organization? How do you make sure that they are thriving themselves? Um, and is there equity in there? Do you have uh, all the, the right um, processes in place? So there's there's definitely a lot to be done in multiple facets of that. Tony, this is obviously something that you, you, you've uh, um, done a lot and contributed a lot in, on, on this subject in your own career. What, what are your what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so there's quite a lot that's come to my mind as both Heidi and Christina have have spoken. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of, in in some respects, holding back from talking across all four plus more dimensions that that I think we've drawn out for for today. Um, I I think both of you have have reflected on, uh, you know, parenting and and how girls are treated as children. I, I think there's also a dimension there. It's also how boys are treated too. Um, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I've got a son. I don't have daughters. I, I've just got a son. Christina's got three boys. I think it's how they're brought up too and the, the kind of impression that they get given with as to how they should, you know, foster an inclusive environment as much as anyone. Um, part of it is how I treat my wife. Part of it is how I treat his uh, female cousins, his male cousins as well. It's, um, you, you know, the example that we set is important. I think there's, uh, Christina, you also mentioned, you know, the hiring element. There's various things that I've found I had to work with my talent team to do because people were making assumptions just by the LinkedIn picture of somebody. It was a really challenging thing to, you know, get people to just, you know, look at CVs on their own, forget what somebody looks like, forget location, forget their name, take the name off, right? Because all these sorts of things do really start influencing us. And it's a really hard challenge to work towards. There's, you know, lots of different tools like like that that people have started trying to rely on. But at the same time, they're only half the problem because they're not changing somebody's mindset. Um, and, and I feel one of the things that, that I've learned to do that I think goes along perhaps some of the dimensions of what both of you are talking about is I had to as I worked through my own uh, leadership journey, realized that ambivalence isn't enough, right? It's not enough for me as a white male to be just saying, okay, it's how I treat people that matters. It, it's not enough. And I think that's a lens of, of what needs to change here around to, to your question, Heidi has written around some of the factors preventing males getting in, into those environments is what the environments actually look like. Are they attractive environments in the first place, regardless of if they're male dominated or not? Are they attractive enough? Are they inclusive enough beyond that? Um, you know, I started to realise with some of the 360 feedback I got that you know, while I was inclusive, while I didn't treat necessarily, at least from what I was hearing, women different to men or, you know, Asians different to Europeans or any of those sorts of lenses, I was letting stuff go because I was focused on how I treated people, not how other people were being treated. And I think that's a big part of setting up those environments as to making sure that they are inclusive and attractive is we need to call out bad behaviour. We need to call out when we think somebody is being mistreated. I've actually lost count of the number of times where I've reached out to somebody both as a female but also as a a race minority, language-based in a particular case, where I've seen a particular event and gone to somebody and, and, are you okay? And then, what do you mean? And it's not until I've, here's what I observed, that they realised that they were actually being shoved down or put aside or something, Um, which goes to me that, or tells me that people are so used to this stuff happening that they often don't call it out themselves. They don't realise sometimes how bad things are because it's the norm and that shocks me. And it, it just goes further to that importance of us as leaders 
male or female, but I, I saw this as a, you know, I, I've got it easy as a white male in some respects. I've got to make it easy for, for others that aren't that case, and I've got to over-index on that. Um, whether that's how I, I sort of instruct and coach and set an example for my son or whether it's other elements, I, I think... Uh, you know, maybe I've, I've gone on a bit too much of a monologue there, but those are the sorts of things that drew out from what both you, Heidi, and, and Christina were saying there is um, there's an element of, yes, changing the environment and the expectations of people of children as, as from people when they're children, but also providing or finding ways to give people that opportunity as adults to be different. Um, I realise that Owen's got his hand up, but probably the final thing I, I want to say there is, as leaders, we really have a good opportunity to provide other ways to attract people into the market of any minority. Um, one of the things I helped drive at uh, my previous organisation was essentially a, a graduate or protege program where whether you were a new graduate or whether you were a career change, there were new opportunities to get into the tech industry as somebody new. And there were elements there where we over-indexed on female and race minorities and, uh, and other diversity groups. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Arwen, you uh, got your, your hand raised there. Yeah, so so I'm actually a father of three boys as well, just like similar <laughs> to Christina. So I certainly have a diversity problem at home myself. Uh, my personally, I've been trying to hire and grow the team recently quite aggressively. So firsthand, when they're getting the kind of the list of candidates, very obvious that I've got a whole lot more male candidates than female candidates. So, so you know, without meeting anybody, I think the candidate going through the funnel is, is unbalanced. Uh, saying that, I just hired a female engineer this week. So um, I think there is a problem in terms of, you know, the, the candidates or the the people going through the funnel into certain industry, helping what what Heidi mentioned, I think females into STEAM courses, disciplines are less in general. I think that the problem started earlier, as Christina mentioned as well. Um, we have this you know, schooling system, we have you know, boys' schools and girls' schools. I think it's quite common in our society, which I'm not too sure is actually making the situation better or worse, I feel like. Uh, in that segregated you know, system or schooling system, I my feeling is that it's not really helping, kind of, to make the um, you know everybody, everybody inclusive or, or bridging the gaps, you know, make give more freedom to to choose their choices and stuff like that. And I think that leads to a certain extent leading to the outcome that we have less female into university into those um, engineering or other STEM. These plans ended up ended up into into you know work workforces um, and uh, back to the point about male-dominated industries. I guess that's fairly broad concept. So for me, I guess I can speak of tech industry. Um, by working in this industry for over the last decade and a half, I think in this industry, I, I believe I don't have the numbers. It's still more male than female, but I think it's it's getting a lot better in recent years. Uh, and I feel tech industry is fairly open industry, um, even though it might be more, more, more male than female, but if we look at different functional domains, for example, if I say soft, software development, I think by big margin, that's very much male dominated, but if we look at you know, testing or business analysis, from my experience, 
or from what I saw, actually, probably much more females than than the other areas. And that might be, you know, a choice. You know, there's females more comfortable or you know intent to to going down that path. Um, so in terms of what is like the preventing that, you know, female into this industry, I think, I think first thing is we encourage more females in doing going down the path in, in from the schooling system, and uh, in university through this career path, and also just um, and general education that be more um, uh, open minded. Uh, don't put it a stereotype into you know in your mind, um, by looking at the picture kind of projecting what kind of person you are, as, as Tony has mentioned. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I think that's actually um, that, that final point there is a, a, a perfect segue into um, Christina's um, point today, or Christina's subtopic. When Christina and I spoke yesterday, um, it, it was uh, it was around there are various common commonly held beliefs of you know these are things that we can do. And I went I, I went I went to, I went to introduce it for you, Christina. I'll let you, let you put it in your own words, but um, there are things that people think. Um, are commonly considered to be helpful in the in the in the pursuit of diversity, but actually they're not, <laughs> um, and actually they're possibly doing more harm than good, um, and are, and, are, and are possibly um, at best tokenistic. So I'll I'll hand over to to Christina to to perhaps say that a little more um, articulately than I just did, but um, yeah. No, thanks, Liam. You have articulated it uh, perfectly. So really. Um, because we've gone a long way now down that journey of trying to improve on diversity and, and inclusion, there have been multiple um, initiatives in, in the different sectors where you would see this being a, a major conversation and, and people already, um, you know, taking some action to, to improve on, on things there. Um, but there have been common um, observations that I've seen uh, around pitfalls and, and some of the those gotchas that you, you kind of you think you're doing the right thing, you think you're actually helping, but you might actually be um, potentially damaging the culture um, in your organization by, by doing the wrong thing in that respect. Um, so I guess um, some of the things that I've observed uh, myself is um, trying to tick boxes when you're hiring. So uh, for example, like you, you wanna make sure there is a representation of women uh, in, in that um, um, a specific uh, group of people. So you, you really seek women, you uh, prioritize women, you really just have this whole process be focused on, on that one aspect uh, of the candidates that you've got at hand. And that's not fair to the other candidates. So it's, uh, it's the same with any other kind of diversity uh, grouping we, we can be looking at. So. Um, I think this is the other extreme, the other end of the spectrum that we don't want to get to. We don't want to get to a, a point, and I don't think anybody would would like it when they are hired because they are a part of a minority, not despite of it. I don't want to be hired for either reason. I don't. I, I just want to be hired for my competencies. I, I want to be hired for my skills and and what I can offer to the group, rather than being, um, you know, the woman or um, the uh, person from that background and, and so on. So that's that's definitely been um, a key uh, observation. Um, and uh, I've been myself trying to steer clear of environments that seem like they're only trying to do this 
for the wrong reasons. Um, and um, yeah, I think in, in general, when we are hiring uh, that kind of subconscious um, or unconscious bias, when you're trying to select someone into your group or hire someone, um, you might find yourself to, uh, leaning towards the person that you know resonates more with you or fits into your own kind of um, background, whichever it is, or maybe a woman hiring another woman, or maybe someone from a certain background hiring someone from a similar background, that kind of bias, which just um, is quite unfair. Um, and then it's just, um, I guess, at the core of diversity is, is a major um, no-no, but it's the process needs to support that. Um, so we actually need to have something um, because this is normal, this is something you would expect out of people, not for, you know, uh, me, um, you know, bad intentions or anything, they would naturally be doing that. So we, we want to make sure that there are processes in, uh, in place that make sure that we cover all grounds before we get to the gate where you can actually then look at the person's background, you, you know, you see their cultural fit and so on. Have you actually measured their technical skills before getting to that point? Have you been able to have a fair look at their um, skills and back and technical and, and experience, um, technical background and experience. So that's, I guess, um, some of the things that I've also observed can be uh, pitfalls. We kind of, if we start with that cultural piece, a lot of the times we can just really be quite unfair um, to people. Um, and yeah, there's a few things in, in that kind of uh, the gotchas uh, aspect, but I know there's a couple of hands up. So um, I guess, um, I'll speak about it further beyond that. Yeah, Tony, you, you mentioned before that this is this is something that you've been through you, um, yourself at uh, at Linkly and, and previous organisations recently in terms of looking at this through a, through a recruitment lens. And and I think it goes. Um, I, I think Christina and I, I, I think some of it might just be that maybe. Um, me putting my hand up abbreviated is what you were going to go through, but there's multiple dimensions here too, in the sense what what you reflected on is the impact to you as an individual if you feel like you've been selected to fill the female numbers. Um, and I think that goes to, you know, a general sense that the right way to deal with diversity inclusion is not to focus on the numbers. The numbers should be a byproduct, not the reason, if that makes sense. Um, but there's also an impact to you as part of the wider group. If the wider group also feels like you've been hired because, because the boss wants to fill up the female numbers or the Asian numbers or the Hispanic numbers or the Aboriginal numbers, whatever the minority is. Um, have I, I want to ask a question back there. Have you sort of experienced, any of you experienced that as well? Is that real or is that just something that, uh, you know, perhaps I was artificially worried about myself? Um, Tony, I, I would say that, yes, I think the, the merit-based um, conversation is real. And I think that there is certainly risk um, that if it's not done with a, a genuine intention and the right, you know, processes and procedures and removal of bias, that there is a risk that either women feel that they've given that role because of a tokenistic position or um, worse, that their peers feel that they weren't given that that role on on merit. So I, I think it I think it absolutely is real and it's really important that there's the right practices and processes to try and avoid that and that there's the right organisational 
strategy and messaging about why you might be targeting minority yep. groups to rebalance the organization and making sure that positioning is really strong so that it's it's understood why we may or may not be trying to yeah, balance gender or you know aboriginal participation or or, or or otherwise and i think that's important for us as leaders um sorry i realized i was responding without putting my hand up so sorry for that liam i broke the rules already um, but I'm going to continue anyway. Um, so to, to kind of Liam's injection there when I did put my hand up is I, I think it's important and, and what I was driving to there is important for us as leaders or anybody who's setting up an environment where we want to attract this level of diversity or inclusion to have very clear and vocal messaging as to why. Right to to your point, Heidi. It's it's got to be something more than just meeting numbers. Our oh, diversity is important, so we've got to get fifty percent female on the board. No, it's not going to work. It never will. Um, what it needs to be important is us, and I think it's individual. Right, it, it's different to everybody as to why diversity matters. As I worked through how I wanted to do my recruiting and how I wanted to engage and uplift some of the both uh, gender and race composition that I had in my group, I was quite vocal with my full team as to why I was approaching it and how we were approaching the recruitment plans, how we were approaching the, the graduate and protege programs in order to attract this diverse of talent, in order to essentially what it came down to, it went through multiple steps for me, but it came down to just being fair, right? What feels right? It, there is absolutely no reason in my mind, or I think in many people's minds, as to why a woman or uh, an Aboriginal or an Asian or anybody else in a minority should be treated differently to anybody else. So therefore, we want to set up those fair environments. We want to set up a fair landscape. That That has to be the driving reason I think um, it, that was mine um, and I'm sure it's different for others but I think we need to be vocal and open about what our reasoning is when we take these diversity and inclusion initiatives such that people don't perceive it as just a numbers game. It may start that way like they may start perceiving it as a numbers game but by being vocal and being expressive about why they start to learn that it's more than that. You're muted Liam. Aaron, you have your, uh, I knew I could do that at some point. Um, Aaron, you you, uh, you have your hand up, but also I think this this leads nicely into, um, or as, as relevant to the to the question you wanted to talk about as well. So I'll just, um, just hand over to you there, Aaron. Yeah, sure. So I I agree with uh, what I've discussed. I think we, I think everybody here at least agree that I think the majority of the population would agree that diversity is a, is a good thing. Um, however, things like we discussed, uh, the equality of outcome, which something like quotas, 50% or whatever the number is, is, is not a great action or great thing to do to, to be able to achieve the diversity that we want to drive to, we want to lead to. Um, instead, I think it's about equality of opportunities. So it's open to everybody. It's merit-based, but not quota-based. I think that way for anybody going through the, the funnel in that kind of system, you know, it's not set up for success. There'll be doubts there among colleagues, even among themselves. And you only get this job or get this position because you are this or that. And I believe the best engineers, female, just as good as best female engineers. But the numbers of the pool is smaller than female. I think that's 
that's the only reason. Uh, and going to the question I have is basically as engineering leaders or who are the leaders, I think two big things when we kind of lead our team or manage our team, one is grow our team, which means when we do hiring, and the other part will be, you know, managing our teams. So how we get the best of the team. So my question is around, when we try to grow or scale up our teams, of course, we want to have an inclusive and diverse team, but how would you balance that, right? For example, would you, you know, compromise the quality to achieve a certain diversity? Once we have a diverse team already, how do we get the best out of the team being a kind of high performance team? How do we get the best of the team kind of leveraging the power of experience of diversity? So I'd like to open that up uh, to the panel. Alrighty, so since I'm uh, the only hand up, <laughs> uh, I'll go for it. So um, I think at this point, um, what comes to mind um, is the um, individual aspect of, um, you know, the, the unique skills you can get even within the same um, type of um, almost background. And, and if you have the common factor of every, um, diversity group. You've got two people are, for example, two Caucasian men's that have come from the same background, that have got the same number of um, years of experience. For us to, for example, assume that they would offer similar things to the group and, you know, compare them against each other as to that expectation would be in itself an unfair um, uh, judgment and would also not be accounting for the diversity element within the same group. So like having stereotypes, for example, is another one. Um, if I can uh, speak to, to uh, my personal experience there, I am a mother also of twin boys. So two of my boys are twins. They are identical twins. They're supposed to be as close to each other as can be, but they can also be, if you really didn't know, you would just say they are two different boys from two different families. Um, they behave very differently and every individual has the right to be treated as such. Uh, everybody needs to know that they are valued for what they have got to offer, um, that uh, they can really be judged for what they are contributing um, and that we don't judge a, a fish by its ability to, to climb a tree, as they would say. So really just making it a, a bit more um, fair in that sense that we also diversify uh, our expectations and diversify the way we recognize success. Um, I think it's a, it's a good way to make sure that everybody does contribute to the overall team's success and it's not just um, us setting a, a very hard mold for people to try and fit into. Heidi, you had your hand up there as, uh, as well to that point. I think, yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with everything Christina's just said. I, I would also just um, comment that we've just got to remember that diversity um, has a tendency to always go back to gender. And I think we've got to remember that diversity, um, particularly in recruitment, we're looking broadly at everything from experience, different skills, different education backgrounds, you know, di different experience, plus obviously there's different cultural backgrounds, gender, et cetera. So I just think it's a, a reminder that when we are looking to how do we balance our skill set or the experience of our teams, we're looking broader than just, you know, a 50-50 split of, of, of gender. It's working out, you know, where you may need to balance things more because you're coming back to your why, which I think, Tony, you touched on before, is 
when you really understand why you're driving diversity or why you're driving an inclusive workplace, um, it's usually because you're trying to get, you know, driving innovation or productivity or better engagement or, or all of those things that we all know why. But if you bring it back to that, I think it helps to remind you of what you're trying to achieve. I think there's a, a again a couple of elements that come through there for for me for that I, I completely agree with with you Heidi and, and what you were saying Christina as well and it's definitely not just about uh, gender I, I've um, needed to over time no doubt you all have to put a focus on um, race and and other minority groups as well and for me it comes down to the differing of experiences right that that everybody comes with and everybody can provide. Um, I, I think at uh, you know one organisation I was at, we were at a global organisation, but every team member in the technology team was Caucasian Australian, and I was like, well, hang on a minute, how can you actually understand your customer base if you know you don't have that represented in your group? Um, exactly how you achieve that though is really hard to Arwen's point, and I think we've all touched on it as well. If you know. For one of a better phrase, we as enlightened hiring managers could make every single decision. It'd probably be easier, but we rely on teams. We rely on other people to make those decisions on our behalf in some cases, or at least I do. Right? It's my my engineering managers and dev leads that are selecting their team. Um, so there needs to be an element of coaching and training individuals up to be more diversity aware and inclusive aware. You know when. Uh, we come up through our recruitment plans and we find, you know, you know too many males are, are getting through. I've, I've taken the opportunity to, from a, a gender base, look at, okay, well, were there other females in the pool? And then asking the question, quite honestly, why did you pick this guy over this woman, right? Um, or, you know, why sometimes even just to, you know, diversified a little bit more, even saying, you know, why did you pick this person over that person, whether they were both men or whether they were both women or whether they were both Asian or something, just to start that coaching exercise to kind of saying, you know, are you making biased choices? Um, everybody has unconscious bias and, you know, even those that do a bit of self-reflection and try to understand how am I biased, they're still going to have biases that they don't understand and will influence them. And going through that coaching and, and really questioning people, okay, you know, there's two people here. Why did you pick that one over that one, right? And actually asking the question. Sometimes they'll come out with a good answer and you, yeah, fine. Other times they won't. And, okay, well, let's put them both through to the next stage, right? Um, one observation I had, and uh, I, was, I was hesitating as to whether to mention this or not, because sometimes it, it comes across as a bit preachy and I, I, I hate doing that. Um, but in one of my organisations, soon after I started, I, I was in a, a big tranche of recruitment where, I, you know, 20 odd people in the team. And over the six, 12 months I was there, I grew that to 100 plus. Um, the big part of that there was very soon after I started, I hired two women into the team. And I had somebody from another department call me up and say, hey, I hear you're hiring. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've hired two women, I see. Oh, oh, did I? Oh, yeah, okay. Are you just doing that for your numbers? And that floored me because, first of all, I hadn't actually realised that, you know, the two hires that I'd made were both women because it wasn't front of mind. It was an exercise of learning for me. Um, but also the fact that there was that bias in somebody else that blatant was a surprise to me as well. And it was that that 
that made me question and made me realize that I need to coach others and we all need to coach each other on how to answer and ask these questions more directly and, and challenge our unconscious bias, no matter what it is. Um, I, I, I've gone on a bit of a tangent there, I, I feel, but um, that there's elements there where we need to look at really facing into things ourselves but in order to do that or or as a secondary to that once we face into ourselves coming back to the point i was making before we do need to coach others we we need to make sure that you know those the expectations that we have on ourselves are starting to get transposed onto others and we ask those questions Aaron, i'm not sure if your hand was up from um the previous point or if you have a, a point to make there yeah, I think uh, a story I can tell is that uh, which a friend told me, uh, somebody working in a government, uh, not to tell exactly where exactly that is, but he was a hiring manager for, for a role and uh, he did a level of screening for just selecting from, from the CVs and uh, and after that was challenged by somebody from HR, basically asking him, why why did you kind of leave three male, shortlist three male candidates rather than you know having one or two female candidates in, in the short list. And then I think there is a level of you know quarters or equality of uh, outcome over there. And and answer was, you know, we can't tell exactly the, the by name. And there are Asian names with diverse you know, racial background, Asian name and, and it's hard to tell whether it's male or female, but saying that, you know, these things does exist in our society. Uh, I think people do have to understand the, the importance of of diversity, but I think the approach we're taking to achieve that sometimes is is, is not ideal. Thanks, Simon. Uh Heidi, your thoughts on that? I was just going to comment um, around bias. I know you know your awareness of your bias is obviously your first you know opportunity to overcome it. Um, my biggest learning activity was completing the Harvard Implicit Association test, which I'm not sure if you've all done, but there's that free online test, really powerful for yourselves or your teams to be able to go on and pick a topic. It takes a couple of, you know, a couple of minutes, literally, literally between, you know, looking at two images and, and kind of selecting very fast on your keyboard to get, give you an outcome as to what, where your biases lands. And I think that, it's it's a really powerful exercise. We all have it. It's it's natural. It's ingrained in us. But understanding where they are help you to ask those questions through recruitment and and challenge that. Thanks, Owen. You have your uh, your hand up again. Passionate topic for you. Did I? Yeah, <laughs> or maybe not. So, yeah, talking about diversity. Thing we we've been, we talked about about you know gender diversity. Another element is racial kind of highly touched. And personally, I am from, from an Asian background, and I think, uh, you know, I might feel firsthand and you know, some of the you know problems or challenges for from a you know the minority group facing. That uh, I think that's also something that I can I can feel probably with a closer distance uh, when I you know face the you know hiring decisions or uh, working relationships. I think something that uh, I might be feel you know a bit closer. Uh, apply that to to the day in and day out work when dealing with other other people. So yeah, and I think and and, and as uh, as expected, that kind of leads us nicely into um, 
Tony's uh, Tony's point of point of conversation. I know that also Tony has a, a hard stop in eleven minutes, um, so we'll um, want to want to give give uh, give Tony the, the the floor with his question um, before that comes up. So um, it's regarding share of voice, Tony. Yeah. So uh, and apologies for the hard stop. I would like to you know this is a, a sort of topic that I can keep talking about um, on the share of voice side of things. I, I think. You're right, Liam, that this kind of did segue into this, and I think Owen was starting to to talk to it a little bit, is that I found that share of voice to be a really challenging element to, you know, once you do have and have built out or encouraged and fleshed out a diverse or inclusive team, how do you ensure that the minority groups of whatever sort actually have a fair share of voice in the group? I, I think what I've found is I've, I've had leaders that would often tell me, oh, you just need to ask them straight out and make sure they say something. And that often feels a bit too confrontational. It feels a bit too abrupt. And it also feels a bit too much like, hey, I'm giving you permission to speak, which rubs me the wrong way. Um, so I, I'm curious about, you know, what experiences perhaps you've all had as far as how do you um, or what does actually work? How do you actually ensure you have a share of voice? How, what do you want from other people in ensuring that minority groups have that sort of share of voice? And how do you do that effectively? Again, it's not just gender, it's race, it's language, right? People with a second language often find it very hard to speak up in meeting sessions because it's the English is broken or they take a lot longer to say things or to think about the, the you know, um, the, the, the verbiage or the, uh, you know, my brain's fading, so I can't even think of the right word at the moment. But, uh, you, you know, it's really hard sometimes to, to say what you want to say in a second language, let alone your first. Um, how do you deal with that? What, what are good tools perhaps that, that might help? Does anyone have any... Um experience of that that's uh, some tools or techniques that have, have worked in that uh, in that scenario Owen? yeah so I think first good start point is just to uh, treat everybody equally I think just fair to everyone I think that's a good start point for in any organizations and in terms of you know share for voice I guess just make everybody feel comfortable in 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 one workplace um for example we had a, a, events like you know bring it on dish which bring which have your own heritage or culture in certain events or, or share something special about about your health corporate heritage, I guess, to, you know, in building up a team. And I do understand, I do, I think everybody will come across that different people from different, you know, language background, culture background, or even different personality, they intend to act or respond in a different way. And in, in particular, in particular, culturally, you know, certain things, you know, it tends to do or not to do and uh, and something we need to be mindful of we need to understand and uh, to approach that we may need something you know slightly slight different or different approach for that uh, you know personally i've worked with um, lots of people overseas for example in the philippines or the indians the chinese uh, and they're from different backgrounds and they like certain things and um, you know some of them are very you kind know, of quiet laid back and so it might from a more hierarchical society and they're more less comfortable speaking out their words in in a public setting so we need to understand that and uh, and uh, maybe take different different approaches um sometimes we need to be a bit of a poke uh, sometimes we need to make sure people relax you know setting up a safe environment and to build up the psychological safety um to be able to you know get the best out of the team yeah and i think this is so um 
a conversation I think Heidi and Heidi and I had um, yesterday or the day before where um, and it's a, a technique that that kind of Heidi was um, imparting on me was um, inviting people to specifically inviting people to speak in a meeting um, as opposed to just putting it out to the floor saying right has anybody got um, has anybody got a got a got a, got, a, got any thoughts on that um, because you know it can typically be the same people that always have a thought on something or the same groups of people or you know and 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 because you know people on one side of the of the table always know that someone on the other side of the table is going to say something that person is even less likely to say something because they're getting in the way of that person who who, who always answers that question and I, and, I, and it occurred to me as as we were talking about that that um you know we have our we have our daily stand-ups and at the end i'll always always finish with okay has anybody got any 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 questions or anything they want to they want to raise and more often than not there's no answer and we just go back to work right everyone's like yeah no, that's great and we move on um and you know it got me thinking about whether actually just putting that out there as a kind of an open question is is, is effective at all um and actually specifically asking people for their opinion on a specific thing and making it different people each time and you know different subjects and whatnot is actually a better um better means of of getting people speaking i think if, if people are um you know someone who doesn't usually contribute to a meeting um in that respect then getting them getting them to invite them to a couple of times but actually if you you know they, they contribute the first time the second time they're more likely to do it the third time they kind of get used to it right they kind of they kind of, they kind of you know they, they, they like being asked for their opinion um maybe um but um just kind of putting it out there to the audience saying right who wants to say something about that you're always going to get the same people put their hand up so yeah that was that was a uh something that i um i, I took for, for from a recent conversation i thought that, that would be worth sharing um christina what are your what are your thoughts yeah, I guess uh, uh, while you were talking, um, I did remember, I guess, a few things in the past that were quite helpful in that respect, not just for diversity purposes, but in general for people who might be just onboarding with the team or really not too confident about what they already know. Um, so, well, for one, for example, having around the table kind of format of your meeting. So you make sure that everybody gets their turn, essentially. Uh, if the group is big enough for that um, or small enough for that for that matter um, or maybe using technology for some sort of feedback uh, in a way that then for example allows them to say okay I plus one that or I um, second that opinion uh, and so on so in in a way they did contribute but it doesn't have to be a voiced um, contribution at that point um, and um, in a way there are people that are quite achievers and people that you know in the personalities as we were were talking there are diverse uh, diverse personalities that you would expect that some people will talk less and they will be okay with that uh, and and it's not a bad thing um, as long as they have got the opportunity to contribute as long as there is a channel and so um, if they don't really like like public speaking they don't like to speak in a big group then maybe they can contribute through other channels opening up feedback channels that might be asynchronous that might be written um, so that they can then use use their best um, you know um, and easiest way uh, to contribute there and really i guess um i was noting down something so you might find me looking at that um so some structure around uh those meetings for example can help so in tech uh, a lot of people are very familiar with 
structures in, in and formats, for example, in stand-ups asking, uh, what have you done yesterday? What will you do today? What's um, uh, blocking you? And that type of structure in any meeting really encourages people to already be, you know, um, ready with what they're going to contribute with, and that just facilitates it. And it becomes a habit, as you mentioned, uh, Liam. Uh, the other thing is about just really positive reinforcement. So when you do have some contribution from someone who normally kind of shies away from that, make sure that it's recognized as, oh, thank you for that, um, you know, good point that you raised, and then actually taking their feedback and or that point into uh, consideration for whatever planning you're going to do into the future. So there are definitely ways to encourage it um, in, in, in multiple um, opportunities for everybody. Well, one of the things, uh, thanks for that. One of the things I find myself doing, um, especially for or in examples where uh, English isn't a first language for somebody, they're struggling to get something out. My instinct is to kind of try to jump in and help and help paraphrase and and help get the message out. And I've, I've found I've really had to hold back and give them space or try to ensure that others also give them space. Has anybody sort of um, you know, been in that situation, no doubt. But uh, you know, what do you do? What What are you kind of? Is it just a matter of holding back and and being patient and letting them get the words out, or are there other ways to to kind of help somebody out in that situation? Because they've obviously got something worth saying. Go. I was going to say something, Christina, but you've uh, you got your hand up for me. So yeah, all, all yours. The floor's yours. <laughs> no, I guess um, in every team, um, there's usually a need for some sort of dictionary, actually. So. It's not only about English, I think about lingo in general within that team and, and culture. Uh, every new team that I've joined has always had a lot of like acronyms and things that they were like, you know, floating around. And I was like swimming in that sea of things that I don't understand. So I think creating a culture of it's okay not to know what I'm talking about and, you know, ask the question or even create that dictionary that everybody can refer to um, and, and ask the question if anybody um, you know, is is comfortable with what we've been discussing? Does anybody have any questions? And continuously keeping that dictionary growing, because it's not just about acronyms. Sometimes it's you, you give labels to things that are really not what you would expect in real life. Uh, obviously, if it's a language um, thing, it's it's um, it might be a bit more sensitive that you are almost singling out someone because they might not know that. But I I think if we create a culture. And, ex and set the expectations to a level where we know we're all diverse and it might be because that person has got that background. It just means that they are brave enough to be somewhere where they are really outside of their comfort zone. Um, like if you're a native English speaker, you would expect that these conversations are a lot easier for you. So you would actually then almost work at that bigger mentality of the big group to kind of appreciate people who speak that broken English because they have done something many people don't do. Um, like, I don't think many native English speakers would go into foreign countries and be able to, you know, hold um, not even a business conversation, just, you know, ordering ice cream or something. So there might be, uh, it's, it, you can really spin that culture around by making it more of a, you know, uh, something to celebrate, I guess. That respect. Yeah, I think my, my um, as I was going to, uh, something that Tony said um, kind of reminded me of um, uh, something that I 
noticed that I did not um, not all the time, but it, I noticed it enough that um, that I wanted to do something about it. Was when um, and not necessarily, you know, I think the majority of of um, the people of evolution happen to be English. English as a first language, uh, have English as a first language. But um, just an example where someone's someone's made a point or asked a question, and if I'm if I'm chairing the meeting, um, I would interpret that in a certain way unintentionally I didn't yeah there's nobody know I was doing it I'd, in, I'd interpret that comment or, or, or message in a certain way and then rephrase that back to the group in my interpretation and so that so that was a so that was a great point from you know whoever um which was that and then I would put their point in my words and I kind of thought a couple of times I kind of thought to myself I wonder if that actually was their point I wonder if I've just made it my point now um and actually, so I've kind of consciously tried to try to not do that and stop myself from doing that and actually um, put it back on onto onto somebody, onto the person who's making the point or asking the question um, to actually, OK, well, can you, can you give us some context on that or give us a, a specific example of what you mean or where you saw that or whatever it might be? Um, and I've, I've found that to be a lot more, a lot more effective in actually get into you know it's often the context or the example that really um clarifies what the 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 intention or the or the interpretation of that of that initial comment or question might have been so you know that was that was a, a failing on my point on, on my part that i that i kind of identified and have tried a different technique so i don't know if that's that would be relevant to the point you're you're, you're making there tony but it certainly works certainly works for me to to you know i think it to, to understand the points that people were raising in meetings or in or, in, or in, in in any setting better not just for myself but also for for other people in that in that setting but also some of the, and also sometimes the person that's actually making the comment in the first place so you know to just ask for an example or, or, or context around that just to make sure they're all on the same page and we're not just running off down a direction that actually they didn't mean yeah and, and i think a similar tool or or method that i've used um so, sorry, I have just noticed the time, but um, a, a similar sort of tool I've used is actually similar to what you just described, but actually asking for permission often is is enough. You know, I, I, if somebody's made a point there, whether it's been um, something abrupt or high level or, or whether it's been somebody who doesn't have English as a first language and is trying to say something, I, I'll, I'll go down the path of kind of saying, uh, can I try to put this in my own words and see if I understand what you said, right? And often that then, when you paraphrase, that gives them permission and opportunity to say, you know, yes, that's what I meant, or no, I meant something entirely different, and here's what I meant. Um, I've used that in in a similar sort of way to what you just described there about asking for an example. I, I probably just another tool. Tony, look, I appreciate we are we're currently four minutes over your hard finish. Um, so apologies for that. I like, I like this 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 topic always has the uh, always had the potential to um, to go on, and I think we could probably we could probably cover another hour. Um, but I'm sure we've all got places to be. Um, does anyone have any um, any additional um, comments or questions or remarks based on what we've discussed there? I think we've covered a lot there. I've certainly got some some you know, some insight and some takeaways myself. Um, it's obviously a topic that is very important um to yeah, to all of us much, to, all of you to business in general yeah thank you very much yeah um awesome well look thanks thanks everyone for your for your time um, really appreciate that and um yeah look forward to um perhaps speaking to you a, a, again on a, on a on a future um evolution exchange podcast thanks very much for your time thanks, thanks. thank you thanks folks